another day. It's another podcast. <laughs> it is, Michael. How are you going in sunny Sydney? Well, I guess there's a feeling of a turning the corner, maybe, in the sense of like some certainty about roadmap out of here. I think that the numbers of 70, 80% um, in terms of milestones for vaccinations uh, um, and then announcements uh, around what reopening starting to look like, you know, have been um, forthcoming. So, um, like, it's not perfect in terms of giving business a certainty, like, as yet, but I'm hopeful that over the coming week or two, like, you know, there is more uh, certainty put into the process so people know what they're dealing with. I think that's one of the challenges. Hey, it's like people can accept that uh, you can't ever 100% know, but can we eliminate some of the uncertainty so we can make some assumptions about what, what a reopening would look like? So I'm kind of um, cautiously optimistic uh, around that, and I think that um, people in the industry might be as well. Um, but what about you? Mate, no, I'm definitely seeing that within the industry, um, particularly in New South Wales. The uh, there, I, uh, I guess the positivity, newfound positivity that is being applied to um, the future has been really noticeable over the last week, in particular. A lot of businesses feeling like there's there isn't, but feeling like there's a working date to to focus on in terms of when reopen could happen in some capacity. So. Um, it's been good. It's been really positive. Um, I guess it feels, yeah, that we're on an up uptick as opposed to a, a, a downtick, which um, is what we need. Who would have thought that we just needed more COVID to get through it? Yeah, in a way, yeah. I mean, like, for, for what it's worth, and I, you, you know, uh, I, I think that we as a sector, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, government sector has been pretty um, trying to be as open and as transparent with the things that are going on. So um, what I can say for me is I am... Um, like so, so rammed with um, internal um, meetings around, and, and 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 trying to get to a position where we can give more clarity. So, and there's a lot of stakeholders um, um, to to navigate and, and engage with, but there's a lot of activity there. And I think that uh, you can, from a government perspective, I can see with new eyes, like the impact of the health response, and then you know the relief response, and and then. You know, now the recovery, and I, I know that there's a lot of people in the sector keen to know more about recovery planning. Um, what I can say is that I'm busy working on it um, with other colleagues, and so, you know, don't have control over when information gets released, but um, uh, hopefully it's not too far away. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so, today you have arranged our guests. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, I think they're part of the... Uh, furniture in, in some ways, you know, like the it's the uh, co-owners of uh, P&V Merchants, uh, Lou Dowling, Mike Benny, uh, which is part of the Mary's family um, with Kenny and Jake there. And, uh, yeah, the team have uh, opened a bottle shop, I guess. it's Calling it a bottle shop is probably not an accurate description of what it is, but, you know, it's, it resembles a bottle shop most most, most notably in Newtown, I think 2017 it may have been, and then uh, they opened up a second venue in Paddington. I think it was this year or maybe late last, and then uh, which is uh, joined with a restaurant porcine, which I haven't as yet dined at and can't wait to try. And I, I, I guess um, you know I, I was keen to. Um, if I'm going to be totally honest, it's because <laughs> I ordered some online one and I thought, why haven't we interviewed these people before? And so, uh, you know, they are leaders of the game, so just keen to uh, see what they 
uh, a scene, uh, learn from them and also get a bit of a view as to future trends, I think, around audience because, uh, you know, this ilk of hospitality tend to have their f- fingers on the pulse of future emerging trends. So um, I thought no time like the present. Yeah, nice. Well, uh, let's get stuck into it. Wonderful. My Benny and Lou Dowling, welcome to the Back of House podcast. Thanks for joining us. In circumstances where uh, you've been completing some renovations in Paddington, unexpected, but that's what, what else is the pandemic going to throw you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully nothing much. Yeah, look, that, that was a, a sort of an icing on cake scenario. And <laughs> we're, we're patently aware that we've probably done it a bit better than a lot of other people in our immediate community. But to have a ute driver at 6.30 in the morning fall asleep and crash at full speed into the front of our shop at Paddington was definitely not something that uh, any of us here wanted to have to deal with amongst everything else that is a challenge and making us think on our feet constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that we're referring, of course, to your second store in in Paddington, um, which now I think uh, we've just jumped straight in there, but uh, I was excited to have this opportunity to to uh, bring you guys on to chat about uh, the life for some famous Sydney ciders uh, who are looking at a pandemic and, and, and still finding a way to, it appears to, to kind of um, push through. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a, a bit of a background on, on both of you, how, how you, you got, got into, into this racket um, and how do you find yourself as uh, you know, proprietors of, um, of PMV? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I sort of, you know, needed to get out of bartending because I felt like I was getting too old. My knees, my knees were getting sore. The late nights weren't agreeing with me, um, and it just there was just nowhere to buy like good natural wine that you could just like walk into a store. And that it purely just came out of that because every time I wanted a bottle of wine, I had to go back to work, and I was like, "Bug at this," you know. I need somewhere I can just walk to on a whim and um and it sort of just sort of spiraled out of there. Like I was I was working obviously for the boys at that time, Jake and Kenny, and um I approached them with the idea because I couldn't think of two better business partners because, you know, they were setting up venues left, right and centre and um and putting me in charge of them. So I was like, oh, this this could be good um yeah and and um and then mike was drawn into that conversation and that sort of it basically just took off from there really yeah i I sort of had a background uh of many things obviously journalism underpins most of what i do in terms of drinks media uh but had a background we won't talk about the lawyer stuff but had a background in fine wine retailing and so i think when lou who put together this great big idea of what PMV would look like, uh, had dragged in Jake and Kenny from Mary's group. She said, oh, that guy who drinks at our bar all the time, Mike, was a <laughs> bit annoying and loudmouthed, and, but he does know a bit about wine. Maybe we should get him to come along because he's run bottle shops before in his life. And, and that was really the, the uh, genesis moment for, for how PMV came together. But credit to Lou for dragging together four very disparate but uh, individually talented people to do something as wonderful as PNB is now. 
I can't resist this one. Um, the, the cry for Mike drinking one of your bars and being loudmouth. Um, I guess it was, it was a close. It was a close. It was a close competition there for a while until they started asking us about wine knowledge there, um, Mr. Benny, and that's when you, <laughs> that's when you shot ahead. Um, but um, we would doing a bit of internet stalking and I think uh, there's one question that we have to ask uh, and this sort of comes out of that interview you may have done a few years ago when PMV Newtown opened and it was in relation to having to describe the products that you uh, were going to sell and write definitions of them and, and that included artisan spirits and natural wine and I think um, it'd be good to you know hear a little bit about that story but also just a bit about what the product uh, how you would describe what you do at pmv more broadly but if you can like tease out a bit on you know natural wine in particular uh i'm no expert um but you know it's one of those things that um at a dinner party what do i say you know why don't we kick off with that yeah look the the thing that's really interesting about natural wine is that uh the wine community in a greater sense seems to continue to suggest that there's no definition for it and that's a, a little bit facetious these days because in france for example there is actually now legal definition that falls under the appellation system in france but if you're at a dinner party and don't want to pull out the very long list of things that france does in a very technocratic way uh you can simply say that natural wine is wine that is produced from organic farm vineyards be it certified or not but grown without chemicals that's how the fruit is brought to life and that fruit's brought into a winery and then it's produced with a natural fermentation and made without any additives. And that can be um, a little bit confusing when people start talking about sulfur because sulfur is an organic product that sometimes gets added as a preservative. But most natural wine has such low levels of sulfur that the uh, conversation is normally it's a, a homeopathic addition, so very, very, very low, much lower than most products that most people consume each day, or none at all. So organic farmed, naturally fermented, no additives, wine with little or no sulfur. And that's kind of the crux of what we wanted to try and put together at PMB, uh, a, a real community hub for exploring those sorts of wines and educating around them as well in all the technicolour that is going on around them. Great winemakers, great personalities and great vineyards locally and around the world. How um, I, I would put myself up as a complete novice when it comes to wine knowledge it seems like natural wine as a as, a, as, a, as an entity has really shot to the fore over the last sort of I, I don't know you tell me four or five years that's just a guess without doing much research but has it always been there sort of sitting below the surface and it's just come into vogue or is it something that has just started to be adopted by domestic winemakers or you know, how has it gone from sort of I guess zero to hero well, it's sort of. I, I feel like it's one of those things. It's always. It's. It's always. There's always been natural wine, which you know, if you're in a country like Georgia, it's not called natural wine. It's just called wine. And you know, there's like some of the oldest, most grandfathery wineries in France are natural because they never farmed with chemicals ever. Um, it's sort of that kind of industrialization which uh, in winemaking which really really took off in the sort of like 40s 50s and 60s which changed the way that i would say all of us grew up drinking so then going back to you know really thinking considering what we put in our bodies and that goes for people buying uh free-range eggs not caged eggs like 
uh, you know, it, I can go on, but basically it's it's that. But now they're they're turning their focus to their drinking as well. So it's it's there, and then it's become more yes on trend. But it's good. Like people are really thinking about what they're putting into the earth to get back out, and that's nothing but positive. Yeah, really. yeah. Lewis just nailed it on the head, but just to qualify, if you look at the rise and rise of the wellness movement, which is a global phenomenon and comes with a whole lot of high-end gatekeepers and influencers and aspirational lifestyle, um, the very sort of beautiful agricultural approaches that natural wine champions and the beautiful products that end up in the bottle fits really neatly into that sort of wellness world. And, and although when Lou and I are well, I'll speak to myself. I'm far from a wellness warrior, as we probably most commonly know. Um, but the idea that these products are now sitting in that realm has opened up a whole new uh, audience for the products, which has gone away from, say, niche, very well-in-the-know enthusiasts to a much greater population who, as Lou has so rightly said, care about other things in their lives, that they're sort of vested in ideas of um, putting better things into their pantry, putting better things into their body, uh, and, and really engaging with the process and provenance behind things that they're consuming. And that can be clothing, that can be a leather bag, it can be, uh, you know, where the apples come from, it can be a meal they buy from a restaurant. All those things have an ethical standpoint that now feed into value systems, and I think wine is now finally feeding into those value systems. And, of course, as we often say here, wine is food. You can't separate that. And it really irks me and Lou, I know, that when we go to restaurants and look at, paddock to plate organic produce that's being served up to us and you open up a wine list and the wine list is industrially focused, large production, large-scale winemaking or spirits or beer or whatever it might be, um, it's this really weird disconnect. And I think what's happening is, is that connection is now being made on all levels for a lot of people. Wine is food and that wine comes from somewhere, grown somewhere and produced in a certain style. Um, and are you seeing um, the increase in production behind that trend then? In natural winemaking? Sounds like a daft question, but like... If- yeah, it definitely. And because there's more opportunity to make wine like this and winemakers who are setting up their own shop, so to speak, and like they can sustain making wine like this. They can go out on, on their own. And uh, then the bigger wineries, say like Ben Gould at Blind Corner, he's buying and converting over wineries that, were or vineyards that were uh like heavily um pesticided and whatnot and then and that takes years that's like a a 10-year investment in one piece of land um so yeah absolutely there is there is more being made because of the support that's going into it which is really great to see and uh, just a follow-up question and and uh, i i think uh i've been inspired or keeping sanity by uh, exploring your range in the last uh, few months. <laughs> but um, but one thing I noticed, uh, and tell me if this is just a sample of one, but is it true then you get like lower uh, overall volumes of production um, by, so say for example, it's smaller production runs and so it's made, it's drunk, it's sold out and then onto the next a bit, like in terms of versus here's my insert wine brand here, Cabernet Sauvignon, whatever, like, you know, 2013, 14. Like, is that that a a sort of hallmark of the natural wine movement? And is consumer and and consumers in follow-up 
must be comfortable with that concept if that's true. Yeah, 100%. Like, there's a reason why Jacob's Creek tastes the same year after year when it shouldn't. The weather's the same, circumstances are different. It Like, every every vintage speaks for itself. It reflects what has been happening in that area. Uh, and although there's, you know, firm favourites pe- that people come back for year after year, they will be slightly different, but people do love it. And it's it, there's a sense of excitement about it because, you know, if you have to wait eight months for your favourite pet nat to come back and it is a slightly different colour, you're like, whoa, it's going to taste like this year, this is awesome. So, it, yeah, and I feel that we're really lucky with our sort of customer base. They've really embraced that and, and it is a bit of an exciting journey every time. Yeah, I think that's a really key point that Lou brings up is that uh, a lot of people's expectations around wine is to sort of fit into a repertoire and explore in a small way outside of it. But PMB, sort of between Lou and I and, and uh, uh, the general manager, head of buying, uh, Amanda Cleal, we make sure that we're always flipping our stock quite quickly. And it's very unusual because a lot of other businesses that are similar to ours want to keep consistency in stock so that people can come back and get a favourite each time. We almost work on the formula of disappointment and we try and change up about 50% of our wine every two weeks because we believe in the engagement that happens. We, we always wanted to be a community hub where you can come and talk about the wine. So you come in, you're bummed because you can't find your wine because Amanda and I have been assholes and gotten rid of it in the two-week period or it's run out, um, though not always the, the case. We sometimes actually actively want to kind of keep flipping people's wines because we want that engagement. We want people to come in and, and talk to people in this shop. So we serve in front of the counter. We don't sort of wait for people to come to us. We want to be able to have people being educated every single moment when they walk in the door, if they want. Other people to scurry in and scurry out with hangovers and whatever, um, and grab beers and bowl. But the wine stuff is really important in terms of that buying. It's a lot more work for us, but it makes us very distinct. You mentioned before it's it's similar to buying, um, you know, caged eggs potentially versus, uh, you know, free range um, or like organically produced from a health benefit or people being conscious of what they're putting in their body. My understanding, though, is that the I guess the characteristics of the wine is quite drastically different to that of what you'd consider to be industrial wine, correct? Like it's how would you educate someone or, or get them for someone who's never tried natural wine before? Um, and I, again, going back, the difference between a caged egg or, a, or an organic egg may not be that significant. You, you can taste the difference, but it's not like you're tasting two completely different products. How do you get people's heads around the fact that it is, you know, it's kind of like a re-education process on, on what to expect from wine, right? Like, where, how do you start that process? Look, for, for me and our team, it's very great that we have a broad range of wine product here. Uh, We don't just present the most extreme cases of natural wine, which I think are very challenging for those who are novices. We have wine that sits under a broad umbrella of what constitutes natural wine. And therefore, people on their L plates can ease in with things that are really familiar. So if they walk in and say, I really like Barossa Shiraz and McLaren Vale Cabernet, 
Do you have things that are similar? Well, yeah, we do. We have things that are similar but not quite the same. And not everything has to be hissing and fizzing out of the glass with muddy colour. Things that are apparently very much in the vogue of what we'd call, um, you know, technically industrial wine actually can appear under the natural wine banner. banner. There's, there's wines that are organically farmed with no additives, no preservatives, etc. that are just really bright and brilliantly, cleanly made. And then there are those who push the boundaries a bit and want to express wine in a more wild and diverse way. And so it's more about, you know, it's almost like the licensing system that I've just said. You get on your old plates, you go in at the ground level, you try things that are familiar, you get on your pea plates, you might jump into some orange wine and a pet nat, which are familiar but a little bit disassociated from your experiences and you have that experience. And then once you're on your gold licence, that's when you can go for stuff that's a little bit more uh, eccentric or different or pushing boundaries. But I guess the other thing is is that um, there's, there's nice similes out there in the food world for example, if you try and explain to somebody why a wine is cloudy and they say, look, I can't drink cloudy wine, that just looks wrong, uh, you know, you challenge that person with asking them, do you drink cloudy or clear apple juice? And, and when you're sort of given that binary notion, what's the healthier version, what's the more tasty version, what's the more close to the apple source version, and they say the cloudy one, what's the one in your fridge, the cloudy one, then you say, well, that's just the wine's reflection through the lens of that conversation around apples and apple juice. And so we like to kind of parallel like that. But I think another thing is, is that while the older generation might reject some of the ways that these wines look because of their long-term experience with these wines, younger generations are growing up on different reference points. If I think about kids these days, um, when you go to your local Chinese restaurant or your RSL, um, Lou and I were being given, given pink lemonades and lemon, lime and bitters but, damn it, if you look around at every table, there's a kid with a kombucha in their hand. Kombucha is cloudy, fermented tea that's volatile, i.e. it's gone through a process that's similar to vinegaring and raised on a piece of snot with bits in it floating in it. Now, if that's not petnat, I don't know what is. So the gateway drug of kombucha into the natural wine world is becoming very apparent too. So our reference points for younger people are very different, and we really celebrate that. Their diversity of beverages they're being exposed to means it's not that hard to get into natural wine. In fact, it's almost a kindred kind of thing. It's really, really quite interesting. And uh, just going into some of the, just spending a bit of time talking about uh, the natural wine aspect of um, PMV, which sounds was kind of in its genesis. And then other products that uh, you're now retailing, um, how they come into the product range? Is that the same customer base asking you for things, or is it uh, is it community driven? What's the how do you go about those decisions? Oh, well, we're just stuck the shit that we like, eh? Like, <laughs> if it's tasty, yeah, man. Um, but if, you, if you're sort of like specifically in uh, COVID, you know, we've put a lot of support behind the local bars, uh, Jacoby's, Earl's, Continental. You know, we're just about to get the um, double juice cocktails in and, and that's 100% like, well, partly uh, – you know, I really love drinking them, so I get to have them all the time. But, you know, that's community support, like the Rising Sun stuff. Um, yeah, that's not something that we had we generally have in, in regular times because the, those venues are open. But as far as, you know, spirits um, and cooking ingredients and stuff that we always um, stock, it's, it's the weird and wonderful things that, like, really, like, 
inspire us to like want to create drinks and and you know the randomness and maras that you can find and like that's cool yeah um in in terms of the uh your formula for disappointment i just love it like i think <laughs> that's what people tune into back of house for just the to, to the formula for disappointment mike um but it it um occurs to me that the and and you know with uh jake and kenny um I assume part of the business or at least involved in the founding, like there's an element uh, where, and and we've had them on the podcast, I've had them on podcast before, but is that I suppose like I would sort of hazard a guess and say there's an element of community trust that you have as a business. So um, if I've bought this from you, I'll also explore this with you because you know, the, the, the fact that like it is particularly the Newtown um, store, I guess, is kind of almost at the, um, centre of the hospitality world geographically for for some people of a certain ilk, it, and do you think that that um, I, I guess partly thinking about other people who might be you know not competitors as such, but in your space, um, like how much of it is that community trust and spirit, um, and and then complemented by your own sort of expertise? Do you think? Oh, huge amounts mm. for sure, huge amounts. You know, it's it's. Uh, like coming from the bartending world where you and and restaurant world where you engage the customers they sit down you chat to them like where are they where have they been today what's happening you know blah 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 um that's exactly how we treat the sort of like run the customer service here as well when like i know more about about some of our customers than uh, you know maybe I should, but it's like, it's great. you like, you meet their kids, you, you know, um, what they do for a living. You remember what they were cooking last week. And then you ask, like you ask them to tell you their thoughts on the wine that you recommended. And then they come back in and you're like, no, 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 put that one down. That one is not for you. Like there's, it's, it's, you know, it's, it is hugely community based in that, in that respect. Yeah. Community, Lou's dead right. Community underpins everything we do. When, when, when we did our business plan, um, it was more or less an empty sheet of paper which had the word community on it and the word education on it. And outside of that, we really wanted to try and change the universe a bit in our local community, that being the inner west and particularly Newtown. And one of the things we first did was basically go around and door knock on other people's businesses and say, how can we all work together? And I think in a bigger picture outside of Lou's great description of how we work with customers, um, other people who are working with natural wine, be it uh, wine bars, be it uh, other bottle shop businesses or online retailers who focus on natural wine, we wanted to make sure that we were working together with as many as possible to try and raise everyone together uh, with a shared goal. And Lou's been intimating at this before that we, we, we feel like we're doing our job. We feel like that the mass market uh, acceptance of natural wine was an end goal and we're kind of getting there. And it's kind of exciting. When the big companies are talking about doing pet nats and looking at piquette or other unusual wine and beer production styles, we feel like we're, we're making groundswell. And we're doing that together with other businesses that are of a similar ilk. And similarly, we sort of looked around the area and and, and looked at our, our friendship groups and, and, and people are doing the same stuff as us. But there's people now coming to us and saying, hey, can you help us with our business? We, we'd like a little bit of P&B love for our wine list or We'd like a little bit of PMB love with our spirits collection, all of it might be. So it's a really formidable part of what we do is uh, interacting with others of a similar nature or helping other people to 
bring them up to uh, not a level that we set, but a, a level that we set as a community together. It's um, interesting for me, at least, listening to you, and partly like I, I, I was prompted to invite you on the podcast because uh, in terms of my role in government now, um, which is not what we thought it would be, which was, you, you know, let's shake off the, the stink of yesteryears like bad association with nightlife and forge bra- bravely into the future. But it's now been, hang on a second, we better make sure we've got like going out infrastructure in place that we can actually have, you know, you know um, a, a future. And and like as an observer of um, the, the business at a distance, but kind of seeing some of those community aspects, um, I it, it takes me into the area of resilient businesses and, uh, and you know, some of it which became evident in the bushfires uh, at the beginning of last year when businesses, um, you know, business models come under some pressure, how do they respond? And then, you know, um, so I was, I was looking at, you know, the uh, sort of ha- your, your position in, in, in Newtown and also looking at uh, Lower Surrey Hills where Nomad and, you uh, um, you know, those businesses around there, uh, um, Paramount, like club together um, around mm-hmm. Bushfire. Like, and, and I see it potentially as one of the hallmarks of successful districts now, it, their ability to actually collaborate as a commu- and build community together. This is kind of a way of cross-marketing each other's businesses, if nothing else. Well, it's kind of like it's it, – I think the thing is people see business as a competition. It's not, about, it's not a competition. It's about working together because the more – awesome shit there is like there is to get from so many places the more people are gonna see like see your business as as a good thing see the product that like we're trying to champion we're trying to sell as something that they they want like it only good can come from it like and there's there's not enough time to be fighting about it you just got to be like fuck yeah let's everyone getting together and how good's that like you know you know what i mean yeah, yeah, we t- oh, yeah, fuck yeah, a formula for disappointment. Um, I love it, um, Luke. You've been dying to ask a question there. I think uh, I'm just keen to get your insights on where you think it's going. Like it's, it's obviously gains a lot of momentum as a as a movement or as a product um, at its base. Uh, you know, um... basically, hopefully, it's just it's going to be the normal. Hopefully, natural wine will be the normal. Yeah, I echo that 100%. I think if you look at a big company, be it a bank or a law firm or a media organisation, and there's sustainability charters in place which require that bank to have certain checks and balances regarding their environmental responsibility, uh, well, this is the end point for where we would like vineyards, distilleries and breweries to be, where there's responsibility for environment and sourcing a product, where there's offsets in terms of environmental responsibility and at the end of it all, a bloody delicious product that's interesting and distinct, that doesn't kowtow to the mass market that we can all share and, and champion as a much broader community. That's the end point. This is a hub for education, P&B. It just happens to so we can piss as well. That I've got just what you need I'll give you something to drink about When I start doing what I've done A topic that's come up fairly consistently on these conversations is the Australian influence overseas, especially from a hospitality perspective. Where do we sit um, from your perspective in terms of um, 
I guess, our position on natural wine internationally? Is it something that we're leading with and, and um, you know, exporting and becoming a, a figurehead with as we have that in other parts of the drinks world um, or other parts of the world, you know, at or ahead of us? Um, how, is it, how is it moving globally? This is, a, this is a really remarkable thing if you don't know this or don't work within the sort of international hospitality scene, but Sydney specifically is seen as one of the global leading places for working with natural wine, artisan spirit and proper craft or artisan beers. Alongside places like Copenhagen and Tokyo, which are really at the very apex of this conversation, Sydney is just behind, if not in the mix, and places like London, Paris and New York sort of fall in, in and around Sydney. Um, it's a really remarkable thing, but I think the, the lack of um, responsibility for proximate wine regions, a kind of individuality to the city itself, uh, a lot of people who determine the businesses in the city from great invention and originality, uh, no one was sort of making businesses in the last 10 years. And I, I'd, I'd say that when the small bar licence came in, a lot of people went, I'm just going to make a bar for me. Mm. And that made Sydney really interesting rather than, I'm going to make a bar for all those people who want to drink Burgundy and Chianti and eat really nice pasta like some other cities have done around Australia. And with that, we've got brilliant places like the old 121 BC that's now gone. We've got Luxury Divine in the early days, Pocket Bar, places that were experimental and exciting that created incredible diversity here. And then alongside that, as I said, that a lot of other cities in Australia have a parochial responsibility for proximate wine regions because they're so close to it. You look at Melbourne, there's three or four wine regions within 45 minutes to an hour's drive. Adelaide, 20 minutes here in the Adelaide Hills, 45 minutes here at McLaren Vale. In Sydney, if Lou and I drive from Newtown for 45 minutes, we might be lucky to get to Bondi. So <laughs> in some regards, we have this great opportunity to do what we want, when we want, and people did that. And Sydney became this incredible hub for natural wine. And then, of course, um, I'll roll into this conversation somewhat humbly, but my involvement in Rootstock Sydney I think was also a great uh, access point for unlocking a lot of potential for Sydney's cultural uh, interest in natural wine and the producers that went with it. And, of course, Rootstock Sydney was not my own doing. It was with a collaborative group of other people, uh, but that was a very big thing and it's so big that, for example, it's found on Wikipedia, so it must be big, um, as one of the you know, leading natural wine festivals on earth. And at its time, and at its peak, you know, 14,500 people coming through carriage works to check out what was going on in and around a festival that was based entirely around natural wine as a set of projects. And honestly, I know those those guys and I don't know how they organise themselves to that, <laughs> that, that place running. <laughs> Speaking of being um, uh, 45 minutes to Bondi, uh, about 22 minutes to Paddington, like in terms of the uh, when you're not renovating the storefront um, or someone's renovating it for you, how have you found uh, the, uh, the experience there in terms of the customer base, uh, people uh, from local to Paddington discovering you, loving you, people from Newtown coming across, what's the vibe? And also talk a little bit about Paul. Paul Seen, am I saying it right? Yeah. 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 Tell us about it. Um, well, well, I guess the, the sort of the customer experience is, is remarkably different. Um, the, the first up, the difference between, um, Paddington and Newtown is like, we, we're, we're all Newtown locals, you know, so we were setting up a shop in our own area. We already have a lot of like long established relationships, of course. Um, and then in Paddington, 
it was slightly there was there's the old school part of Paddington that were like, who are these? bloody interlopers coming in with their black jeans and whatnot. Um, but when when we did like, finally get the doors open, there were so many uh, regulars from Newtown that were coming in and it was just because, you know, they live, they live over that side of town. And I was really, um, really, really blown away and really touched. I was like, what did you say? Every time I see you, you've driven to Newtown specifically. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh amazing that's 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 cool um but i i guess the added bonus of paddington is that you can sit in and drink because it is sort of like that wine bar sort of thing um which is uh super fun i mean we get to open different bottles every day people um you know they come down have a few oysters and whatnot but yeah pretty different it's, it's turbocharged <laughs> the experience and and no one i always talked about opening a couple of other smaller PNBs and then did the exact opposite. And, yeah. and I think three days before it, Lou just turned to me and said, fuck, I think we've opened a wine bar. Because <laughs> it was meant to be just that you could open a bottle and try it and taste it, maybe a few glasses be poured here and there. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty much last minute when we sort of dawned on us that it was a bit of a different thing. But it's been amazing. And, and while Lou's so right in describing the difference in community, that there's a sort of rusted on... Um, old school to Paddington and then this sort of younger generation who have been uh, aspirationally involved in PNB and coming across and doing our events and masterclasses. Uh, the community there is lovely and it's, it's a village. It really is. And that's one thing that was struck me as quite remarkable was one, there's a very strong sense of community and, and, mm. and in Newtown, Paddington's a village and it's beautiful how the older generation come in are very inquisitive, if not quite learned and have traveled very well and broadly and know the regions we're talking about. They want to invest in educating. They want to learn things. They sit there uh, during the day particularly and, and want to try different glasses of wine. I, I really enjoy the community there. While it's very different and, and we stick out like sore thumbs, in a way it's it's a wonderful thing. And the feedback's been phenomenal. I mean, the number of people said, oh, gosh, you're the casual wine bar with interesting stuff that we've been crying out for here. Mm. And, and I, again, kudos to Lou for managing to make the business look and feel how it does because um, it, it is a wonderful place for people to, invest time and energy into and I'm, I'm really loving that Paddington vibe over there. And, and how, and I, I, I never made the trip because um, I can't remember how long Poor Seam was open for before um, the, 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 the last lockdown, but it was on my to-do list. How, how long did you, did it trade? And is it part of the business or is it adjunct to, is it a part, like how, how do you work together? Uh, well, it is part of the business, but it, they, it, we operate in two very separate uh it weighs kind of like almost uh your neighbor but on top instead of so yeah you, you do have to enter through go through the bottle shop um but then you go up to this like beautiful dining room it's very everything's very french it's um really good uh like uh yeah you, you, you really missing out if you have if you haven't been i can't wait for it to reopen but um yeah, it, it can be quite striking going down from loud, loud music and people sitting down, being a bit um, yeah, jovial. <laughs> um, yeah, but we 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 work we do work it like as as a great team. But it it is like you realise you're in a separate area. Yeah. Yes, if that makes sense. And yeah, as Lou describes, it's all operated by PMB. Per se, it's just that we have 
within a team, a restaurant that sort of operates independently but under our banner. And the idea was that because we had the upstairs space like we have at Newtown, we wanted to continue the really burgeoning education program that we had. We're getting to two or three masterclasses a week at Newtown and we're beginning to wonder how we were going to accommodate the interest in our masterclasses. And so the appeal of having an upstairs space at Paddington was that we'd continue masterclasses. And, of course, we're allowed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to run them because that's when Four Scene's not open. The Four Scene team adds great value in just creating this kind of very symbiotic feel between restaurant, bar, the menu that we have downstairs, how the wine list works between the two spaces, BYO from downstairs, upstairs, finish your bottle downstairs afterwards and just creates a really distinct environment that Sydney doesn't have anything like really. Um, Melbourne does a great job of the kind of what you call Inoteca or Carver Manger style wine bar shops, uh, but Sydney didn't really have anything that was so fluid. And, of course, we've been gifted the laws of COVID in which restaurants are able to retail. And, of course, we have done that to the nth degree. Uh, making it a space with a living wine list on the walls. So while we're ostensibly a restaurant and bar, it looks like a bottle shop, but in fact that's just our wine list and our drinks program, just not in a cellar tucked away or in the cool room. It's live on the walls for people to interact with, which I think both Lou and I thought was a really cool idea. Talking about, I mean, bringing COVID into the conversation, and this might be a stretch, so forgive me if I misspeak here, but um, I might assume that there may have been a reasonably positive um, uh, tinge to this experience for you, um, maybe through changing consumer patterns. Are there, are there people coming in, do you think, who are, who are trying your product that may ordinarily not have just by virtue of being home and maybe having, uh, you know, idle time where they're you know willing to try different things and and overall has the experience how has it been for you um that's a really interesting question i hadn't really thought of i mean maybe i feel like the sort of the covid thing has just really affected the online sales there's just more there's more people ordering online because i mean they can't leave the five Ks where they are and maybe they only have a maybe they don't even have a bottle shop in five Ks. I don't know. But like it's it's yeah, it's it, I I don't really know how to answer that question. I, I'd say that on the whole, if you looked at PMV and the two lockdowns that have occurred in Sydney that we have had uh, a lot of concern for our greater community and both Lou and I have found it weighed quite heavily on us, particularly with staffing and, and how to make sure that yep. we kept people in jobs. And when, when the first lockdown happened, Lou and I basically turned to each other and said, all right, we're just going to work as hard as we can and keep everybody in a job and doesn't matter what the business does. We're just going to do that. And when we get through the other side, we'll be really proud, give each other a big hug and say we kept everyone employed. Now, we did that. And then we found that we needed some help. So we started hiring out of the out-of-work international hospitality staff that couldn't get job seeker or job keeper. So we started looking to people whose visas weren't working. So we hired from that community. Then we looked at the outreach stuff. And so we started door knocking around all the businesses around our neighbourhood and just saying, hey, um, why don't you put a cocktail in a can and do something for us? Why don't you put some chilli sauce in a jar and bring it to us? And, and so we sort of switched the frown upside down in a way about how we both felt quite emotional about 
what was happening in our broader hospitality friend circles and our local neighbourhood. And as the second lockdown has occurred, we've seen obviously a growth in this online sales that Lou's talked about as people have been feeling more and more shuttered at home. But to get on to that second part of the question where are people reaching for our products more? Yeah, I reckon they are because I reckon people are sitting at home and they have more time to do research on things like where do I get an organic fruit and vegetable box from? Where do I get sustainable meat from? Where do I get sustainable seafood from? And in their idle Google searches they're doing in their trackies at 11 a.m. while having a glass <laughs> of rosé, they're typing in, where do I get my sustainable wine from? And PNV is optically furnishing them with an opportunity to get involved in wine that matches all these different decision-making processes. And I think as well people at home have sort of realised we missed the nights out at restaurants and bars but, hey, we were paying 120 bucks for that bottle, but when you get it from the bottle shop, it's 50 I'd only spend 25 but I'm kind of okay because 50 bucks is not 120 hours spending. And so we've seen people drinking better as well, which is a really exciting thing. And then I think the last part of the answer is, and Lou would probably agree on then, she can jump in a chance, but non-alcoholic product has been the great rise and rise superstar of COVID lockdowns. That something yeah, heaps, heaps of them. And Can't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a very interesting thing how people have been uh, moderating their drinking or, or drinking better but less or including non-alcoholic products in their lifestyle. Uh, and and that's a really, really interesting thing to sort of tease out of the great tapestry of stuff that's happened during COVID for us. Can we stay on that for a bit? Like, say, because I, like I do um, would love your views on you, you know, we can sort of talk as broadly as you'd like when it comes to hospitality. But if you just start with drinks and trends, and and you, you know, we talked about natural wine, obviously. And but but in terms of non-alcoholic, like you you want to just tease that out a bit more. Like, what type of non-alcoholic products are you selling, and people are buying in greater quantity? Is one trend, and then any other trends you want to comment on would be amazing to hear. Well, um, so non-alcoholic beer definitely um uh, we are great champions of the sober and the heaps normal at pmv there's and there's so many to choose from but you know not enough space too many products kind of thing um but they're they're delicious like you really if you drank one you'd be like and no and, and you didn't know basically you would you would just think it was sort of a, like a light beer but they are great and we see people who you know, are abstaining or they're trying to, um, you know, get themselves out of a habit or they've got health problems or very important, they're pregnant and they're staying for a beer, you know, um, and we, we see this and people love it or even people who have a night out and they're like, you know, I, 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 I sort of wedge, I wedge with a non-alcoholic beer because like, you know, I want to keep drinking. We saw a lot of that at Christmas time, especially, you know, they're like, oh, great, can have my two beers. Uh, but then i got to drive to the next Christmas thing. So I'll have two non-alcoholic beers after that. Um, and the, the liars range in terms of the spirits. Um, they quite handily made um, some spritzes in cans, which are really cool. So it's sort of so like an Amalfi spritz, which is, I think, along the lines of an Aperol spritz. They've got a gin and tonic in a can. Um, and people are really getting behind those as well as the non-range, which are sort of bordering on that um, to be paired with food. They're not a wine. They're not a kombucha. They're like it's something unto themselves. And that's sort of where 
I feel the trend is going because there are people who are sort of doing mocktails, which I don't find as interesting personally. Like some, and there's a lot of people that are doing not like some people are making non-alcoholic seltzers. And you're like, that's that's just flavored seltzer water. You don't like the point. The, the fact that you put non-alcoholic on there is is irrelevant basically like you're trying to get in on this thing that's like just make a fucking flavored seltzer water you anyway that's <laughs> that's besides the point but um it's it's this the the things that are the, the products that are made for food matching which i think are the most interesting ones yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a yeah it's a, it's a rising trend and i think here to stay as well but lou has been a massive champion. She was onto most of these products before anybody else, before they were in inverted commas commercialized and at larger scale production. And I think PMB through Lou's work with these producers has been at one point the number one seller of heaps normal beer, the number one seller of sober beer, the number one seller of the non 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 alcoholic products in Australia. Heaps normal is one of our biggest selling beers. <laughs> which is phenomenal really when you think about it. Yeah. It's like, again, through the lens I'm looking at, which is, uh, you know, trying to come into some sort of recovery upswing and also the, my, my sole job is to get everyone out of the house as soon as possible once we're allowed, essentially. And, and what when I hear you talk about non-alcoholic options and mention pregnancy-related drinking, th- things like that, or just needing, like the th- thing that I often try to explain to people is that you're removing barriers for groups of people like, yeah, 100%. It, it, uh, sorry, I'll just jump in. It's and also allowing people, you, people might call it a crutch, but it's it's a coping mechanism for a lot of people. And, and when they realise that they can still have that, uh, that like feeling of relaxation whilst having a drink in their hand and they don't have to get shit-faced because that's just how they've dealt with it for you know, since they were teenagers, then this is a really positive thing for sure. Um, and, and do you like using you, uh, I mean, imagine that you'd have a view a little bit and like, although you can't, I can't remember, one of you mentioned about people coming to you for drinks advice generally, like is that in other on-premise or other off-premise places? Like is it everywhere? I'm thinking about your comment on paddock to plate a bit and, you know, that, um sort of incongruous experience one might have when you've eaten nose to tail from paddock to plate but then are confronted with a, a list of, you know, imported ingredients or whatever. Like, are you, do you think that some of these trends will be reflected in on-premise going out, I guess, is the, the wider question? Yeah, look, I, I do think so. I think I think people are getting wise and I think the availability of product, a younger generation of producers who are coming at it from their own invested Drinking habits with these products is creating a broader market, albeit a lot of this stuff is artisan from the avant-garde world of beer, wine and spirits. Uh, but as I said, the, the big companies are paying attention. When I get calls from Diageo and Pernod Ricard about having chats to them about what Piquette is, which is a, a sort of byproduct uh, wine that at 5% alcohol made from the leftover grapes from a, a primary fermentation of grapes making wine, uh, you know that the cut through is real. And so I, I believe that uh, the on-premise world, particularly in Sydney, is, is going to see 
an inundation of these sorts of products, and, and rightfully so, because they're good and interesting and they're engaging for people and they create an experience, which you don't do at home so much. You can, of course, but you want to go out, out for an experience you can't really do it at home. That's the whole idea of dining out and having a good time, being in the hands of others who are creative and interesting in that workplace. Uh, and I think, I think we're seeing a great groundswell in that regard. I mean, I can't remember the last opening of a bar or a restaurant in Sydney that didn't mention, mention natural wine list or Australian artists and spirit focus mm. or craft cocktails in a can or a bottle or whatever it might be. It just doesn't happen anymore. If you try and open a restaurant and say we're going to open it with a traditional stoically, uh, you know, man in elbow platch blazer wine list that's claret and Chianti only, uh, people run a mile these days. They don't want that experience. Well, there are people who do it. Forgive me for my realm of experience, but um, this is this is the groundswell. This is how hospitality is working. It's, it's, it's experience and engagement much more than providing a familiar. It's also about um, having a story is really important because you, you're going to be way more engaged uh, if you're uh, the, the person waiting on you or the person serving at the bottle shop and they say, my, I know this guy, this guy's, uh, his name's Sam. Um, he makes his wines, Maluka. It's so amazing. You should see his farm. I went there one day, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and there's, there's a real connection and people want to want to have that connection with um, these really interesting products. And, and you see that a lot where like when, when we were running in-store tastings with winemakers, people would come in and be like, come on, God, did you make this? This is amazing. Um, it's like it's kind of like an honour to meet you, you know. Um, and people really sort of like strive for things to be personal because we live in a world where everything's available all of the time, but it's not really personal. Like you, you know what people are up to because you see them on social media, but you don't fucking know them, like you know. So it's it's more like it's a tangible story that they can complete by drinking and eating. That's such a good point. Yeah. You mentioned um, obviously international exposure, um, the groundswell, the movement. What does that sort of translate to for you in the future? Do you have any, um, I guess, designs moving forward to open up additional locations? Do you see yourself expanding into other parts of the state or other parts of the country? Um, have you got any sort of plans? <laughs> We're just going to get through Christmas first. <laughs> yeah, put, putting the rest of what's in front of us aside, do you have any sort of objectives that you're looking to achieve? There's not enough to go around for that just yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till they start cloning it. We have, we have aspirate. We've already tested the waters out a lot uh, around the country because we're pretty big on sharing our experience with other hospitality venues. So we've done pop-up events, mini festivals. We jump in on other people's food and wine experiences. We curate bars. We went to Bali. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, like, doing one of the perks of a job like this is – it's so fun to do collaborations with people all over because you basically just go get to work with your pals and share your joined love of stuff. And, um, like, I don't think we'll ever stop doing that. You, you know, yeah, uh, Mike mentioned we got to go to Bali to do it and, like, oh, the, the grand plans we had for ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, COVID happened and we couldn't <laughs> do any of them. But, um 
yeah, just once that all opens up again, it'll be, I reckon, balls to the wall. Let's let's get around Australia at least. <laughs> we, we may have covered this already, but um, it, like I remember in the before the just after the first lockdown, I can't remember when it's all just been one blur of time now, but um, it about just about co- like okay, there's a co- impact of COVID on businesses, but in terms of like acceleration of trends, like do you have any views on that either in terms of product consumption or just choice, consumer choice generally? Is it more more of what you've been talking about coming out of it? Yeah, look, I think it is. I think as I sort of alluded to earlier, the the fact that people have more time to self educate and explore ideas outside of their existing repertoires, the more that uh, there has been acceleration in interest in things like PMB and its realm of drinks and producers and product. Um, that's everything from people cooking amazing meals at home because they have more time or joining in on a Zoom chef experience, doing wine tastings with their groups of pals with an expert on the other end of the, the computer. All these things have sort of enhanced the in-home experience of doing things with the stuff that are core to our business. Well, it's not, I guess it's a critical mass across the whole of Australia, but I, I think in the engaged sectors of people who are not struggling to make ends meet at the end of the day, people have a little bit more um, lifestyle opportunity. There's certainly been a greater interest in, in getting involved and, and exploring what this really interesting world of, of, of drinking. And, of course, we, we put a lot of effort, or Luke puts a lot of effort into what we're eating uh, or cooking at home or, or creating at home. Luke, you got any other questions or are we, we, we going around the home straight into our final five? Well, are there, are there, is there anything else that you'd, li- you'd like to have us raise? We're looking, looking forward to reopening Paddington as a whole entity with poor scene upstairs and the bar mm. going downstairs. And I think one thing you can watch this space on is that uh, we've come to the strong realisation that perhaps Paddington is going to be uh, better served with a really good wine bar, so we're going to enhance the wine bar experience over there. So that's something to look forward to is a bit more seating, a bit more space because we've been a bit sad having to turn people away and have people on a waiting list as much as they are. I mean, hopefully that still continues because we're popular and do nice things, but that's sort of a, an enhancement. And and then, of course, I, I think Lou and I have a great appetite, as we've just described, for doing collaborative events, and we have a lot in the pipeline. We have a lot of people who are really seeking to have us do stuff both locally, internationally, when things open up again, and perhaps our own uh, new projects that are a bit more bricks and mortar as well. So we've got a, we've got a lot on our minds, despite the fact that we don't have much time to think. Mm. So, um, and it's not... It's just because we're really enthused by how much we've been championed by an amazing community. And I guess that's a lot to do with how we foster engagement with a really amazing community as well. And that goes right through to doing charitable outreach work, right through to looking after these tiny little producers of whatever it might be, be it an oil or a source, right through to some of the um, you know more interesting but well-known products from winemakers who aren't being able to, sell to hospitality on premise at the moment. So, you know, we're sucking up a lot of wine from people who normally have an audience that they don't have and we're, we're, we're looking to we do things like we export wine from Western Australia that nobody else gets on the eastern seaboard because we find those wines interesting and we invest in those tiny producers over there. So we see ourselves as a bit of a, it's hard to explain, but and it, sounds a bit, so it sounds a bit silly, but a bit of a, you know, seed funding bank in some respects. Well, we're going well. We can invest in other things and make other people go well, and we're really proud of that. And I think that's 
long may that continue with our endeavours as well. I would and I will drink to that at the next appropriate <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um But, hey, um, it's been so good just having that, um, you know, catch, capturing this point in time. And, I like, I, I do, um, you know, I can only encourage you really, like, from my particular seat, particularly, um, you know, it's going to be hard, I think, coming out um, for, for the sector as a whole. Like, you, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of challenges that the sector's got to meet and keeping staff engaged, um, like, like you've been able to do, uh, I think opening up new uh, opportunities or new ideas is, is a, just, just, it's just, it's going to be um, just so important. I think, you know, coming, coming out into what will be a challenging time. And also, um, I, I, again, I'd encourage you to around um, the events stuff if I, if I can, because it's such a good way to, as Rootstock, I was going to say, I imagine has been such um, a catalyst for, for, for this business and the natural wine movement. It's such a good way of, of encouraging experimentation. And for me, uh, when I, um, the boys interviewed me the first time. It was in that room that you're sitting in now. Um, but it was on. It was. It was. <laughs> it was on D-Day when the pandemic hit the first time in March last year, and that recording got lost. A year later, I, they interviewed me in um, in uh, the Lansdowne, and uh, and we we talked about um, you know there never being such a um, a bigger opportunity for uh, I think Sydney culture than we have now. You know, and about sort of creative. Creatives of all types, hospitality or artists, sort of taking a leading role in, in, in establishing a unifying identity for the city. So, just um, here's to you, and you know, um, uh, can you, I just can't wait to see what's next. What's next for this podcast is a few quick questions we'd like to finish on, if that's all right. So um, now you can either answer these individually together, um, you know, in in um, rhyming song if you need to. Um, so a favourite book that you've recently read or, or a podcast you like to listen to? Uh, um, I read really slowly because I'm quite dyslexic, but I did just finish the Patty Smith Just Kids book. I can't believe I hadn't read it. It is fucking awesome her writing is phenomenal but it's beautiful but in saying that i listen to a lot of podcasts but the one that i've really really been enjoying it's um it's called off menu so it's a it's a comedy food podcast from uh england so two comedians and they they get other it's mostly other comedians on and they they're like their dream their dream meal and just the just the funny sh- that people get like really really angry when they get offered sparkling water but it's it's really interesting because people's the thing that they most often want it's like something from their past like something that their grandma cooked or their mum cooked but that one's I, I i would i really enjoy listening to that so yeah i can recommend that for sure nice nice mike what about any any, any tips from you in that regard Look, I, I'm a, a podcast heathen. I sort of firmly, squarely place Radio National or ABC Radio <laughs> on my listening habit um, ledger. But I've just finished an amazing anthology of stories from Louis Naura, the great playwright who lived for most of or lives in King's Cross, 
and the book's called uh, In the Gutter, Looking at the Stars, and it starts off with sort of Victoria era, era writing right through the 1990s. It paints this amazing picture of King's Cross. And, and I, when I first moved out of home, I lived in King's Cross for, for a good deal of time, and I have a great sense of nostalgia around the cross. And, of course, it's close to your heart, Mikey, and your work, obviously um, revitalising the city from that uh, incredible downturn in that amazing area. And so I sort of read that to give myself a bit of energy about that place that I loved and lost in many respects. Oh, well, that's a, it's a, it's a nice one. I'll, I'll look out for it. All right. Some music references here, a, a favorite album or an artist you're listening to right now. Uh, I would definitely say, so this year I have had the opportunity of seeing them three times this year. Um, King Stingray. Um, they're from Arnhem Land and they, I think they've only got like three songs on, um, Spotify, but listen to Milk and Mana. It's it's a fucking banger. And if they're not headlining festivals in the next couple of years, I will be so pissed off. They're great. Um, I'm going to echo that. I, I would say King's Stingray. They're phenomenal. And my musical tastes are quite broad, uh, as in sometimes Lou walks into the office and walks straight <laughs> out again. And, um, but King's Stingray have been a real bright light. I like, I like a strong recommendation, so we'll, uh, we'll have a listen to that. Um, oh, this is the question now. Favourite drink right now? <laughs> Let me agree time, time, time specific because of your vast uh, repertoire. You know what? Probably not my favourite drink, but something that in the last couple of weeks I keep finding myself drinking is a matzo ginger beer. With, with like a, a whole heap of rum poured into it. <laughs> oh yeah, like we we did a we did a, a hop up uh, years ago, and we had matzos on and and Jamisons also on, and I was oh. like, oh, oh, I can see where this is going. Oh, I love it, I love it. <laughs> uh, so I see where you're going yeah. there. Um, um, uh, dark and stormy, mate. I don't know. Um, Mike, yeah, what you? Much. <laughs> um, I love that because I absolutely delight in pouring a big thick slug of some kind of spirit into a soft drink can. I'm a little less structured in my approach. It's usually whatever the closest alcohol, whatever the closest. I can tell you Mike really loves, we've got this uh, Bloody Mary mix called uh, patio mix and Quite often, I'll see Mike walking around with a little bottle of <laughs> bottle of that. With I don't know what he's put in there. But <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> Very good. Very good. All right. Like, uh, we'll throw this next one is uh, a favorite venue. Um, especially with the weather today, I would just say the the venue that today I'm most excited about returning to is um, Pepito's in Marrickville it's like I just want to drink some pisco and eat their ceviche in like some like summertime I'm really keen on getting back there for sure well I've got a I've got a holy trinity for me which are the three things that I would like to do right now on a day like today which is you know beautifully warm and sunny um I'd like to go to uh, the courthouse hotel and have somebody pour me a schooner of rushes and sit in the beer garden. <laughs> I'd like to get some stuff from P&V, which is what a lot of people do, and go and have a picnic inside Camperdown Rest Memorial Park with a bunch of interesting wines and some uh, 
compostable, recyclable plastic cups. <laughs> uh, and then finish finish off my night at literally my favourite bar in Australia, Cantina OK, and just neck margaritas. Oh, um, oh. yeah, margaritas are a, a big thing on my repertoire. And uh, do those three things in a day would make me pretty happy. I reckon right now. Oh well, I think we we got got a few itineraries for people uh, coming up. And so, um, they it's basically the, the pub, man. I fucking I miss the pubs. So much. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's a uh, I don't know when this will come out, but uh, we're in the thick of the debate on as to you know how many meters squared, you know whether you can stand, lean, etc. At the moment, so let's see. Um, and uh, and all right, I'm looking forward to the answer to this one. Um, uh, and maybe start with, uh, well, either of you. Uh, who in the industry are you most inspired by and why? Oh, fuck, man. At the moment, it's it's just it's all the people who are doing everything that they can to keep their business afloat and keep their staff in jobs sane, actually doing something it's it's a bit there's no particular one particular person i can think of at the moment but it's just like all these people who just work in their taints off to stay afloat and 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 look after their staff the people who are really putting themselves second and their staff first like my hats off to them yeah i, I can't do anything back that i think lou has nailed that it, yeah. I, I look around our little neighbourhoods, and I look at the people who are just hustling in any way they can, and they're trying to put money in their bank account to make sure other people around them are doing okay. And I, I admire that more than, than, than anything. Um, there's lots of great charitable stuff that's going on that we see or that we get involved with, but um, it's our it's our pals and those we don't know who you look at and see that they're just they're just trying their hardest to do something that engages with people and and, and make sure that they're keeping all their all their people and all their family, their real family or the hospitality family around them, um, in in some form of livelihood. Now that is really inspiring. Yeah, well said. Well, um, it's been a fascinating hour or so, and um, really wanted to thank you for taking time out, notwithstanding you know. The- <laughs> People <laughs> just driving into the shops at random, um, you know, uh, and having to rebuild them overnight. Um, but uh, you know, and and you, for, and thank thanks, um, you know, for all the good times over the years and and, and keeping us in good spirits, um, you know, during this time as well. And can't wait to be out and about with you um, at the first available opportunity. Oh, I'm not going to make any promises. I've I, I've been up because I keep every time I speak to someone, I'm like, I'm going to be in your venue the minute it opens. I'm going to be in your venue. <laughs> I've realised that, that, that I will not be able to honour all. Maybe we will meet at a joint venue. We'll both show up at the same time. <laughs> at the courthouse. Yeah. All right, thanks, team. Thanks very much. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.